0: This is episode 15 with Denby Royal on Ancestral Health Radio. Learn to align your genetic makeup for peak health, fitness, and longevity with actionable how-to advice from today's leaders in nutrition, movement, and lifestyle. Join me, your host, James Kevin Broderick, as we bridge the divide between modern technology and our inherent ancestral wisdom. Let's take a walk on the wild side. It might shock you to know that the clothing industry is the second largest polluter in the world, second only to oil. And on today's podcast, Denby Royal, Holistic Nutrition and Eco-Fashion Consultant, joins me on another fascinating episode of Ancestral Health Radio. Denby and I discuss why Westerners commonly fail to think about their clothing's environmental and social impact on the rest of the planet, the physical and psychological pitfalls the fashion industry has on our health, followed by simple, inexpensive tips on how to make more conscious decisions when thinking about your wardrobe. Other fun things you'll learn in today's episode are how clothing affects our bodies and its many systems, the true cost of fast fashion, Denby's suggestions for buying less but buying better, and much, much more. Demby is a registered holistic nutritionist and stylist. She has a long history in the fashion industry from bespoke suiting to denim, modeling, education, and beyond. Her purpose is to bridge the holistic gap between nutrition and fashion educator clients and audience about the importance of how clothing affects the functionality and flow of the human body. From restrictive clothing hindering range of motion in the natural flow of the digestive, lymphatic, and circulatory systems to how toxic dyes and pesticides are absorbed directly into our bodies from the fabrics that are used. She visits us from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Please welcome Denby Royal of denbyroyal.com to the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Hi, James. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, I am super pumped today to have you on to this call because I think this is a really cool opportunity for people to hear exactly what transition culture clothing kind of looks like. I thought maybe you could just open today's episode up with a little bit of your story and exactly what you got going on over at denbyroyal.com.
1: Cool. Yeah. It's about minimizing your physical and environmental impact. And the way I define holistic fashion is also minimizing your physical and environmental impact, but through your clothing, you know, it's just like that added little step. And I was sort of drawn to this from um, my years in the fashion industry, from denim to suiting to modeling. I've sort of touched on a whole bunch of different parts of that world and was opened up to a lot of the nastiness that goes on in the fashion industry. I mean, we already know so much that happens, you know, how it makes us feel, you know, the impact of magazines and advertisements and how we're just so dependent upon, you know, how people think about what we look like,
0: so. (laughs) That's that's for sure. How do you define eco-fashion again? Yeah,
1: it's about how we minimize our physical and environmental impact through our clothing. So it's taking into account the people and environment that are affected by the production of the garments, Mm -hmm. but also our personal levels of consumption and how much we consume, how much we're willing to consume, and how much we're actually aware of what we're consuming is a big one. And so the way that I sort of look at it a little bit differently is that I also look at how it affects our bodies and our systems too. Mm-hmm. So taking into account that our skin is our largest organ, so being aware that everything we put not just in our bodies but on our bodies is also absorbed through our skin. So looking at you know uh, the, just the pesticides, synthetic fibers that don't let our skin breathe, so the bacteria is being reabsorbed into our pores, all of that
0: right? I don't think many people think that far into it either. So it's really good that we're going to be touching on this. I think I told you on a previous call that I almost live in my prana pants now. So I've kind of minimized a lot of the clothing that I have now. And I have a couple shirts and a couple pants, and that's all I have in my entire wardrobe.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. That's like super minimal. That's great. And uh, my friend, um, Katie Bowman, actually said it best in a blog post that she did a couple of months ago where your – how did she phrase it? Your If you have your movement clothing, the clothing that you wear to exercise, to work out, to hike, then you have to acknowledge that everything else in your wardrobe is your sedentary clothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you use for sitting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cool. That, that, was like, like that was huge for
1: me, right? It's like, oh, yeah. I mean, that that's really what it is. So it's about – understanding that we need to be able to move in everything that we wear and I mean guys guys do have it a little bit easier you are capable to move in a lot more of your clothing than women are you don't have so many things that like women were expected to wear but are incredibly restrictive and really limit us from doing so many things Mm
0: -hmm. what are some of those things
1: oh gosh like high-heeled shoes um you know, there's, there's there was a funny video that I just saw of just this, uh, just streaming online of just um, some woman, you know, going through her day in her high-heeled shoes and then just, like, trying to do all the super fun things that you want to do in a day, but really exaggerated and doing them all in high-heeled shoes. Right. And it's just ridiculous. Um, really constrictive pants and skirts and denim. All of our stuff just fits us so, so snugly. It's typically the the style, and I've worked with clients in the past talking about, um, you know, any digestive issues, and I always ask them, like, okay, well, like, what are, what's the waistline of the pants or skirt that you're wearing throughout the day? Hmm. You know, is it, like, is it, is it really hugging you across your waist? Are you wearing a really tight belt? Is this pencil skirt completely limiting the range of motion of your hips? Can you only move your legs, like, just, you know, in a couple centimeters back and forth while you walk and come do this weird little shuffle like a penguin. You know, all of this is really affecting just how your digestive system is going to function. It's like you have this, like a rubber band tied around it. And if you're getting digestive issues at the end of the day, well, it's
0: a huge factor. For my girlfriend, one of the first things she did was switch to a wireless bra.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And there is a whole bunch of information online now talking about um, the effects of underwire bras on women's breasts and just then affecting the shape of our breasts, but also the health of all that lymphatic tissue that's in there as well. So your lymphatic system is your immune system. So if you're putting anything that's hindering the flow of your lymphatic system, it's preventing your immune system from functioning properly.
0: That, that's very, very important to know. And mm-hmm. we were discussing a documentary on a previous call. Mm-hmm. And it was about fast fashion. And we'll, we'll put that documentary, it's called The True Cost. And we'll put that in the show notes for people. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what fast fashion is?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, that documentary is amazing, by the way. And I really recommend everybody heading over to Netflix and watching that. It's such a fantastic breakdown of what's going on.
0: It was an it, eye-opener for sure.
1: It is, isn't it? And yeah. it's such it really humanizes the whole process and um, it really breaks down. to what fast fashion is. So it's typically in the fashion industry, there's four, four seasons of clothing, you know, kind of broken down mostly into two. So you have your fall, winter, and then your spring, summer, Mm -hmm. and maybe there'll be a resort or a holiday collection that comes out, you know, But, um, what fast fashion has done is it now releases about 52 seasons of clothing a year. Wow. So, yeah. So what that's doing is it's just to shift more products to look after the interest of big business. It wants you back in the store every single week.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. This this goes back into the head games that we were talking about earlier, right?
1: Yeah. It plays a total head game. It makes you, it makes the consumer... Want to keep checking back into that store, looking back and saying, Oh, you know what? Oh, and you know, without even realizing that there's going to be something new, they're going to go back and they're going to keep on checking and they're going to look. And I mean, because fast fashion is produced so cheaply, you're likely to buy something no matter what when you go in. Yeah, and this is all a result to these auto cravings that we have. So these auto cravings that would have kept our hunter gatherer ancestors alive. You know, it would have forced us to go climb on the edge of that cliff to get that hive of honey because we need that glucose to survive. But now it's keeping us in this loop of consumption and dissatisfaction because we have this artificial craving for more stuff. So we're trying to attain more stuff. And fast fashion is really feeding into that because it's giving us the stuff that we want at a really, really low price and a low price monetary cost for us, but a huge cost to the people who are making it and to our planet.
0: And it's it's super, super wasteful as well, right? One of, one of the things I did not know before watching that documentary, and it's something that I, I definitely managed to highlight, was that the fashion industry is literally the number two most polluting industry on earth, second only to the oil industry. I think it's important for people to understand that, and especially if they're on their path to rewilding or ancestral health, that they, they understand that we're not talking about a little waste. We're talking about a lot of waste here. You know, uh, we
1: all know the oil industry and the petroleum industry is doing to the planet, and the fashion industry is right behind that. And even putting into perspective that, you know, only 10% of all the clothing that's donated in the U.S., so this is the stuff that we don't even think is getting thrown away. This is what we're donating. Only 10% of it actually gets sold. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and we're talking about get sold at like your local thrift store or consignment store, right?
1: Like yeah. Consignment store might be a little bit different because just the way that's structured, but it's anything that you would donate to, um, to charities or to Goodwill. Only mm-hmm. 10% of that can actually get used because we've just bought so much.
0: That is crazy. Yeah, I I wrote down a couple things from that because I thought it was so eye-opening. Like and from that 11 million tons of textile waste just from America alone get shipped yeah. to third-world countries. I mean, that's whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's absolute that's incredible. I had no idea about that whatsoever. And so, what are the social effects of fast fashion?
1: Oh, Gosh, there are a ton. Well, number one, it's made the fashion industry the most labor dependent industry in the world. So, you know, the industry where we're throwing some of the most stuff away is also the one where there's more people making more and more of it every day. Um, the impact of the disasters that have happened. So, most of us have heard about what happened in Rana Plaza in Bangladesh, where a thousand people died as well. So, the workers had actually pointed out. Um, to their management that this building was structurally unsafe, and within the same year that the most the highest profits in the fashion industry was also the year of the worst fashion industry tragedies. So the most deaths in factories happened in the same year of the highest profits.
0: Wow! And there, and exactly. the, it, again, it it wasn't like. A few people died here and there, you know. It, and when you look at the numbers, and if you if you watch this documentary that we're we're talking about, the true cost, the numbers are crazy because they're up into the hundreds, the hundreds. And the, what was it? It what is the plaza called again?
1: Rana Plaza. Rana
0: Plaza. Yeah, the Rana Plaza okay. disaster. That it mm. was over a thousand people had died. Insane. Maybe that moves us into fair trade practices. What is fair trade exactly?
1: Fair trade is basically also my definition of what uh, like holistic fashion is. It's just taking the environment and the people into account. So it's making sure that the workers are being par- paid a fair living above living wage, because what a living wage is in different parts of the world can be incredibly low. But um, just making sure that they're getting they're getting equal and fair compensation for all the work that they're doing in, like I mentioned, in the most labor dependent industry on the planet. We just want to make sure that the people who are making all this clothing are being paid a proper wage and able to live a decent life. And what's great about the true cost is, like I said, it really humanizes it. So it really tells a lot of stories about garment industry workers and what a lot of them go through and what their day actually looks like Mm -hmm. so to make that t-shirt that you're going to buy for your kid for five dollars and you know just going to toss it or you know the outfit that you wear to wear out one night and then you know you never wear it again and it just collects dust in your closet or you end up throwing it away a few years later you know like the story of the person who actually made that you know maybe this person's been you know, living in housing outside of a factory and hasn't seen their kid in years because they have to send money to their kid who lives in a village miles away and they can't get to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Sometimes these people will have, yeah, their their child in another village and they won't see them but once a month.
1: Exactly. Yeah, even less than that, once every few years too.
0: Once every f- few years. Wow, that's.
1: <laughs> if you can't get back, if you don't, um, you don't get time off.
0: Wow, that's um, that's upsetting.
1: You only make enough money just to send to them so that they can have a decent life. You don't have enough money to go see them.
0: This consumer-driven society, it seems like it's people versus things.
1: Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And, I mean, the majority of the people working in the garment industry are women. Hands mm-hmm. down. You know, it's the biggest employer of women on the planet.
0: All right, right, let's. so let's talk about some of the things that we can do about it. What, what are some of the things that we can do to make some conscious decisions about our wardrobe?
1: Probably the first thing is just buying less, <laughs> you know, buying less, but buying better. Mm-hmm. Just commit to buying better quality, less of the time. And we need to stop thinking about fashion as a disposable product. I mean, we do have a biological need for adornment and that goes without question we know we have personal uh, personal styles and interests and personalities and we want to represent our individuality through mm-hmm. our clothing but we don't we don't need to buy as much as we are we need to focus more on the quality
0: uh, i mean anything that i use a lot of i think it's important that you you strive for quality
1: it's also important to mention too in that documentary true cost how um, they do talk about Monsanto and how we can't forget that Monsanto also has a monopoly over the cotton seeds, so not just seeds used for our food production that I know many people are familiar with, but also with the clothing, so the farmers that are making your clothing, they're also being impacted by what Monsanto is doing to the planet.
0: Right. And basically, when we say Monsanto, we really mean, um, you know, seed breeding, um, uh, which is hybridizing uh, different seeds and then patenting and genetically modifying them. GM seeds, essentially. And then what they're doing is, you know, they're they're putting these farmers into debt. And unfortunately, these farmers, because of the wages that they're not getting paid, Monsanto is creating a monopoly where they can just. Basically, swoop the land from out under them. It's pretty uh, ridiculous. So they're they're taking their land and um, putting them in in poverty. It's really it's really a shame.
1: Well, also, what ended up happening in the Punjab area in India? This is happening at such a high high quantity that it adds up to roughly like one farmer every thirty minutes commits suicide because of his constant financial battles with Monsanto. The, uh,
0: Wow! Can you say that one more time?
1: Yeah, um, it adds up to about one. I don't know the exact number, but about one farmer every thirty minutes kills himself in India. Wow! Yeah, because of this debt imposed upon them by Monsanto to make to grow the GM cotton to make your T-shirt you got at H&M.
0: Okay, here we go. I have the number right here. Yeah, cool. so the, from the farmer suicides in just this one area, mind you, uh, in 16 years time, there's been about a, roughly 250,000 suicides. And, yeah. and as Denby said, that's roughly one farmer every 30 minutes. Basically the largest suicide rate in the world.
1: Yeah, it's because of fast fashion.
0: I mean, that's crazy. One of the things I heard that helped minimalize my wardrobe was something I heard about or You know, old President Barack Obama was that um, he only had two color suits and every day he didn't want to have to think about what type or color suit that he was going to wear because it causes decision fatigue. So he Mm -hmm. minimized his wardrobe to just blue and gray, same suits every single day. And that's Mm -hmm. what I aim for in almost every every area of my life. How how functional, how adaptable can I be with what I have? So we want to minimize some of the clothing that we have in our wardrobe. How do we go about doing that? For me, I hold on to things like, I mean, I'll hold on to a pair of sneakers for years. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, for, as, as being a, a dude, I, I will hold on to clothing forever. What I did is I, I, I heard of a trick and I, would, I turned my clothing around on the hanger in my closet. And mm-hmm. after a month, anything that I didn't use for that month, I threw away. So it was like this year long process of getting rid of a lot of clothes, but eventually I pared it down to only my like very select few things that I need. But are there any other ways you would suggest people go about paring down their wardrobe?
1: Yeah. Um, one step would be either donating your thing to, so being selective about that. So a lot of the reason why stuff doesn't get used when it gets donated is because the quality quality isn't there. Um, it isn't really in that grade of a state. I mean, it could have holes, it could have rips, it could be completely worn down. So stuff that you are donating or you know selling to consignment, make sure it's really good quality and that somebody's actually going to be able to wear and appreciate That's that great garment for you to I mean, there's absolutely no reason to buy rags when you have clothing that you can just cut up and use to clean your house with.
0: <laughs> That's very true.
1: That into account. Um, like I said, buying less but buying better. Another great trick that I heard of is having a set price. So I think the gentleman who wrote this article said he won't buy anything unless it's under $150. So really understanding that this piece needs to be of the highest quality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, t- a t shirt shouldn't cost, t shirt shouldn't cost under $70. I mean, Really, to actually grow quality fabric, um, to mill it, to dye it, to have all of this done by hand in a low impact and sustainable way, yeah, it's going to cost you more than $5 for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, yeah, another good step is learning how to repair. You know, learn how to Basic sew a button. Sewing. Mm-hmm. Basic sewing skills learn how to sew a button on your shirt. Um, learn how to put a patch on the knee of your pants, how to fix the hem of a pant. All of these things are within our capabilities to do, but we're just stuck in this loop of just, you know, mindless consumption that if something, you know, is ripped, we'll just toss it. There are tons of amazing tailors out there. People who have, you know, dedicated their lives to, you know, making handmade garments and repairing them they're out there, um, buying better fabrics as well, because they're easier to repair, <laughs> you know, the fabric, the easier it's going to be for somebody to fix it. I don't know how many times, you know, you buy this fast fashion t-shirt and then, you know, after a couple of washes, the seams are tilted, you know, the hem is jagged or it's, you know, has little ripples in it.
0: It's right? done. Just, yeah. And you know, I think it's important you said something to me on the call before this that I think it was important that people um, hear was that, you know, I was wearing like this old Hanes kind of like synthetic, just this old beat beat up kind of uh, moisture wicking type shirt on. And you had said to me, you know, I was saying that, oh, yeah, I still have this and I'm trying to replace some clothing and everything. And you said, you know, it's important to understand that it's a gradual process and that not everybody's going to have the money to spend on like, a, you know, a 65 80 ninety dollar hemp T-shirt. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's important to understand that you know you don't have to go run out and get rid of all your clothing and try and find these eco-fashionable brands, right? We're talking about trying to find that middle ground and finding these consignment places where you can still express your your individuality and your personality, but on a budget, right?
1: On a budget, yeah. And you know, asking yourself like if you're getting if you want to add something to your wardrobe. You know, is this replacing a negative in my life? It's mm. like, well, this, you know, organic cotton t-shirt is really beautiful. But I already have a t-shirt that's just like it that I wear all the time. And I still really love. So do I need to buy this right now? Probably not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I'll keep it in mind when I can't wear this one t-shirt anymore.
0: Yeah, you know, well,
1: so it's just, it's just finding a reduction in our consumption at the end of the day what we really need to focus on. So it's not about like flipping your whole closet at once and switching it all over to organic and sustainable and putting yourself in debt in the process. No, No. that continues to feed this consumption beast in a capitalistic market, right?
0: Absolutely.
1: working with what you have and when you need to buy something, you know, if you haven't bought a ton because you've been... Using what you already have, you likely will be able to afford that organic cotton t-shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, another good thing is when you um, when you find brands that you really like that meet all of your ethical standards, you know, sign up for their newsletters or follow them on social media. You know, many brands they're gonna have off-season sales, so not just at the holiday or end of season anymore, but they might just like put out a random discount or promo code that's only available through their newsletter or for their social media followers.
0: Yeah, I, I hope, you know, your inbox isn't flooded with already too many newsletters <laughs> like mine is, but um, yeah. that's a great suggestion, most definitely. And you you brought up organic cotton, and I've heard you mention that a couple times. Is, is there any other type of plant or animal fibers that you would suggest that we look into maybe when we're looking to purchase some of these materials?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. So if we're going to look at, say, athletic apparel, and we want to replace a lot of the synthetic fibers that we have in our closets Uh, because one of the big impacts about synthetic textiles is not only do they prevent our bodies and our skin from breathing properly when we wear them, but what they also do is every time you wash a synthetic fiber, you have these little microparticles and little fibers that are released from the fabric, and those get into our waterways, and the majority of those massive islands of plastic in the ocean are actually from these little micro particles of synthetic fabric.
0: Oh, I think I, you know, I saw you share a really good video on, I'll, you know, I'll share that in the show notes also for you guys.
1: Yeah, that's a great little, it's a great little video on the topic. Um, so an alternative to that is looking at um, merino wool. So icebreaker is a great line that makes a whole bunch of athletic clothing for either, you know, for, running, hiking, skiing, whatever, whatever it is that you do. And, um, it's completely made with merino wool. So it's a totally antibacterial and thermoregulatory fiber. So thermoregulatory means that it will keep you cool when it's hot out and keep you warm when it's cold out. Mm -hmm. Um, the antibacterial factor is amazing. So if you think about it, you're going to be doing like, you know, uh, you know, four-night uh, camping trek through the mountains. You know, so you can wear on an icebreaker merino wool shirt a few times because it's antibacterial and antimicrobial, as opposed to the synthetic shirt where you wear it once you're sweaty and it gets pretty stinky pretty fast. You know, so like one merino wool shirt is going to add up to about you know,
0: three to four synthetic fiber shirts. Oh, that's so important to highlight right there for you guys too, because that ties right into that minimalism idea that we were talking about earlier, that when you're looking to pare down your wardrobe, you're looking for the most functional items. So you're looking for something like for myself, um, I like to have things that, you know, I I wear my pants a couple days in a row, a few days in a row, Uh, you know, I'll wear a shirt a couple days in a row. Um, Not a big deal to me. You know, it's totally fine. And what's funny is when you have these thoughts in your head about, oh my God, are people going to see me or think, what What are they going to think, right? Most of the time, they don't even notice. <laughs> they don't yeah. even have no idea. It's only, it's all in your head that you're even wearing the same clothes that you did yesterday. I, I mean, and especially if you're wearing these high quality fabrics and materials, again, it, you, you're not going to be having that, that, you know, that hippie funk that we're used to. But... um, Again, uh, it's important that you choose these quality materials because they have these extra benefits. So not only are you spending a little bit more money, but you're actually, I feel like you're saving a little bit more money in the end. So you're not repurchasing these items. They're higher quality and they're multifunctional.
1: Exactly. Right. So like I said, you want to buy less, but buy better if you can buy one shirt that you're going to wear to work out as opposed to four. (laughs) Totally. Totally saving a ton of money at the end of the day. I mean, hemp is also a fantastic fiber too. It's about three times stronger than cotton. It's also antibacterial and it's also thermoregulatory. Sounds awesome. Yeah, so another great option. Um, Bamboo as well. So bamboo makes a really beautiful soft rayon type fabric. And what's great about bamboo is that it's an incredibly sustainable uh, plant to grow. So it makes it really accessible to designers or manufacturers that are looking to go oh. more eco.
0: Yeah, that's but really cool. They
1: can't afford merino wool, or they can't afford hemp, or they can't afford organic cotton quite yet.
0: Bamboo—it's the fastest-growing grass, right? Yeah. So that stuff sprouts up really, really quickly. So that's ultra sustainable, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, great, and it's—it's it's just an easy—it's an easy fabric to sort of ease your way into buying fabric that's more sustainable so even
0: if
1: organic isn't it's still out of your budget aim for bamboo Mm
0: -hmm. and there's some you know and it's funny it and we're we're talking about bamboo merino wool and organic cotton i don't know denby what well here let me ask you this what image pops up for people when you mention the word eco fashion they might Mm -hmm. think of keep saying the word hippie but you know i'm just saying some trying to give that typical stereotypical image maybe dreadlocks, long hair, beard, um, you know, free-flowing clothing, things like that. What would you say to those type of people? Like, If they're looking to purchase something and they want something more fashionable, are there options like that out there?
1: Oh, there are so many and I, I, I do work um, with a lot of uh, clients online where I do personal shopping and personal styling for them and this is a topic that comes up often and I call it like the hippie eco paradigm. Oh, okay, cool. We like, we do, we all, like so many of us now are just becoming really aware of, of these fabrics, of the impact of the fashion industry, but we still have our sensibilities and we still, you know, want to express ourselves and adorn ourselves absolutely the way that, you know, the way that we want to. And that's totally cool. And there's a lot of stuff, the most widely available You know eco fashion clothing it doesn't really reach those sensibilities but there are tons of brands out there that are doing beautiful things so like icebreaker is making incredible technical fabrics so for high level athletes can wear icebreaker patagonia is in that category as well they do a lot of recycled recycled fabrics organic cottons and i mean their mission statement from the get-go from the inception of patagonia you know, is to build the best product and to cause no environmental harm and to use their business to inspire and implement solutions to environmental crisis.
0: <laughs> That's so, so beautiful from, right there. From
1: yeah. goes, they're like environment first, profit second.
0: Yep. That right there is a reason to stand behind them. Yeah. And in, in, in that fast, uh, fast fashion documentary, The True Cost, um, I believe you would get to see the owner of Patagonia talk a little bit about yeah. why he's so passionate about that. So again, just another reason to go out and watch that movie tonight.
1: Yeah, especially what Patagonia did on what they've been doing on Black Friday as well. Oh, what so are they doing? They, so on Black Friday, instead of putting anything on sale, they actually donate 100% of the profits to uh, charitable causes.
0: Oh, that's so rad.
1: Yeah, 100% on Black Friday. Everything you <laughs> that's buy.
0: That's super cool.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, other really great brands that like I personally wear, I really love Conscious Clothing which is based in Michigan. They make really beautiful organic clothing for women and children. Um, People Tree, that's mentioned in, actually highlighted quite a bit in the True Cost documentary. Mm. Fantastic revolutionaries in the industry. Um, Synergy, a company based out of Santa Cruz. There's also Fair Labor, Low Impact Dyes. And what they do that's pretty cool is a lot of their stuff is made in Nepal, but they actually let a lot of the women take their work home with them. So they don't have to choose between working and taking care of their families. Oh, okay. So about the women who don't see their children for years. Uh huh. That's not an equation for.
0: Okay, that's really okay. awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, I was gonna make a, you know, a bad joke there, though, you know, because it, bring their work home. It just sounds like they would be working more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, like, exactly. but, but again, that's that's really awesome that 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 they allow that. So.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Um, other great ones coming out, um, older brother, that's a line that's actually, they call they say they make universal garments for people. So everything that they make is unisex. It's all natural dyes. They try to, you know, mix between like plant-based designs and contemporary. So they're really trying to break out of that. Like I said, that hippie eco paradigm mm-hmm. and just clothes that are super classic, super clean. You know, you could literally wear one of their t-shirts every single day oh, and nobody cool right?
0: Yeah, there's a huge market out there I feel like for that gray area right there.
1: Yeah, and I mean like um, Stefano, a lot of people ask him what he wears all the time too and he really wears like two brands. He wears Seed Yoga, the pants that he wears which yes. are made by a dear friend of ours in Calgary in Oh, Canada. those are so cool. Yeah, and those are all organic hemp made really small scale um, you know, amazing and Young Maven, a line of organic hemp you know, t-shirt sweaters and dresses and whatever for men and women um, out of LA and their goal is to have everybody in a hemp t-shirt by 2020.
0: That's a great mission. Yeah,
1: a yeah, great mission. Um, I mean there's so many like one of my like my personal favorites right now I really love this brand called Specs and Keepings. For me just aesthetically I think that they're one of the most beautiful and they're just a great example of um, reusing a lot of fabrics which a lot of lines are doing too So even when you're taking into account all these different factors of switching to a sustainable wardrobe, another one is just looking at a line that's zero waste, Hmm. which a lot of, a lot of brands are now. So like specs and keepings, every little, every piece of fabric that's cut from the original design, everything is used in either like craft projects or incorporated into something else there. Yeah. There's so many lines that are doing that as well. So there's a lot of ways to really look at sustainable fashion and eco-fashion that isn't just necessarily, you know, breaking the bank on a lot of really expensive pieces. There, there's so much that you can do and so much that you can look at and that's what I really work with a lot about my clients is sort of breaking that down and providing them with a variety of options to how to really get their foot in the door and break out of this fast fashion paradigm.
0: So for your uh, consulting, what if somebody wants to get in contact with you for that or wants to know a little bit more about that, how would you say they do that?
1: Yeah, the best way is just to send me an email. So just head over to my website, denbyroyal.com, and there's a contact me page on there. So you can just send me an email and then just ask me a couple of questions. So, I mean, I like to I like to tie it in with the nutrition because it is a whole holistic approach. So understanding and looking at how the, the clothing that you're wearing is really affecting your the systems of your body. Oh, no way. And, yeah, and how to really look at this full holistic package of your food and your clothing, and how it's affecting how you move on the inside and the out. Um, but yeah, what I do is I just, you know, sit down and have a good chat, you know, via Skype with my clients, and just look over what what goals they're looking to reach when it comes to their fashion. Um, how they want to start editing their closets and incorporating a lot of these holistic brands and taking their budget really into account. So then from that, I just provide them with a whole package full of what I think works for them.
0: That's really cool. Um, so where, where did you get some of this inspiration anyway? Like, was there anybody who kind of influenced you along your journey towards eco-fashion?
1: Yeah, there, there's there been a few things. So just my my own personal, um, experience in the fashion industry and looking at just, you know, the impact to our planet and thinking, God, there, there has to be more, there has to be more to this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, i i mentioned it before, but, um, in, when I was studying holistic nutrition and, you know, seeing my professors talk about, you know, the importance of living holistically, but then they'd be, you know, sitting there with like this like, you know, wearing fast fashion or like this, you know, designer, <laughs> this designer yeah. handbag that was made in China in horrible conditions, you know? So just a lot of like, yeah, okay. But like, I think there's something missing here. They
0: had their blinders on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, like a big influence would be, um, Katie Bowman as well. She was Katie. the first, Katie, the first person who I ever heard really talk about this as a thing and how your clothing affecting your body. Um, she has a couple of great resources as well. She did do a podcast, um, on her nutritious movement podcast called, um, the fashion movement, which is a great one that I think everybody should listen to where she really gets into the, gets into the more technical and science-based parts of how this is affecting your body.
0: Oh, perfect. We'll link that up.
1: Yeah. And also she did a post, um, called, I think it was like movement and eco-friendly clothing and why they're technically the same thing.
0: I think I read that one. I think you're featured in that one, I believe.
1: Yeah, I And mean, so Stefano as well, as long as a few other people, amazing people, but she, that's where she does mention about the difference between like your movement clothing and your sedentary clothing.
0: Oh, okay. So it is that article. All right. And uh, yeah. I'll find that for you guys after this. And I'll be sure again, to link that up in the show notes. Um, okay, you know I'll make what? sure that
1: you have all links to all the brands that I've mentioned.
0: Yeah. I, as- and definitely we'll get together and talk about that and make sure we have all those. And you know what, real quick, um, I, I I know that you and Stefano spent some time abroad, right? So he was talking about a little bit of your story and, um, you know, it, it's a stark contrast, right? So you guys were where?
1: lived in Italy and France for a few Italy years. Italy and
0: France. Okay. So can you contrast your time in Italy versus the time where you are now and how you dress now?
1: Actually where I live now and where I was in Italy, the climate's very similar. So as opposed to like what Stefano mentioned, having like all these different, all these different wardrobes for the different activities. Mm-hmm. You know, I tend to, I tend to be wearing very similar clothing that I did in Italy as I do here just because it's a very humid climate. Um, you know, a lot of, like a, a lot of walls, a lot of fabrics to keep you dry in the rainy seasons. But um, Italy was also really influential for me for how clothing's made because it's very regional. Italy is still known for its textiles and they're still the, one of the biggest textile exporters on the planet. And it's very regional. So when you live in one area, you tend to wear a lot of the clothing that's made and manufactured in that area. And they take a lot of pride in that in the same way that we're aware of how they take so much pride in their food or you know, they're all over. <laughs> right, across, definitely. Right. So you know, like we Everyone outside of Italy, you know, we don't get the best olive oil and we don't get the best cheese. They tend to keep all that for themselves. Clothing's no different. They tend to keep all the best and keep it in the country.
0: <laughs> okay, um, that's was, good to know.
1: Yeah, I was really opened up to a lot of, a lot of really beautiful, um, a lot of beautiful designers and artists, and you know, just a whole wide variety of beautiful fabrics that we're not access to as much, and because it's kept regional the price is incredibly fair. So the same way, you know, you're buying food in your local environment from your local farmer, you know, it's within season, it's an incredibly fair cost. So clothing in Italy is also treated the same way.
0: Wow. Did you still have this mentality of eco-fashion while you were in Italy at that time?
1: Yeah, yes and no. Um, In the same same gamut as talking about food is when you're in a country like that, you tend to eat better without even knowing it.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: You, know, you also tend to be you know, wearing better quality clothes without even knowing it because it's just within your budget.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Of course, and that ties into what you were just talking about.
1: hmm yeah.
0: I have uh, maybe a couple more questions for you. Number okay. one, what ethical questions do conscious customers need to be asking before they make their next purchase?
1: A uh, number one is just, does this replace a negative? you know, before you're going to buy something, just look and really take into account, you know, am I just buying this because I have this void that I want to fill or I think I'm supposed to buy this. Um, do I really need it? Is it really replacing a negative? So as opposed to the question that we hear a lot of, um, you know, like, Oh, does this bring me joy? It's like probably in the moment, you know, buying that bag is going to bring you joy. But Really, is it replacing a negative? Is it something that you really need right now? Does it? Is it something that you don't have? Did maybe you just move, you know, to to a rainy climate and you don't have a really good rain jacket? You know, you really probably should buy one. Yeah. So I mean, that would be the first question. Um, feel feel comfortable asking brands for what's going on in their production line. Um, more and more. Companies and designers are really open and transparent about how their product is made.
0: Okay. So you suggest maybe we just drop them a line, maybe an email and ask that question personally?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Or take a look on their websites in the about section. I mean, there should be details about... um,
0: Their manufacturing processes.
1: About the manufacturing process. Um, You know, a lot of... Look for brands that actually make that part of their business manifesto
0: right like Patagonia
1: like Patagonia right so a lot of the icebreaker as well synergy people tree a lot of these brands that I mentioned that's all part of their ethos from the get-go so putting that into account and yeah just buying less and buying better Um, I've had people ask me about the different sustainability lines within these fast fashion brands so looking at like H&M for example they do have a sustainability line, you know, but really at the end of the day, when that accounts for just like what, like less yeah. than a percentage of what they're actually producing.
0: You know, for me, it's always, I always default to the mom and pop, right? So whenever I can, it's always defaulted to the mom and pop store. So if I can at all costs and in any way possible, if I'm able to go local or smaller or or regional, bioregional like we like to talk about on the show. I do yeah. that. Most definitely I'll pay the extra couple dollars to make sure that the mom and pop stores getting my business rather than um, my my ego getting stroked by saying that I'm purchasing something. It, I don't know, it's kind of like a it's like a double-edged sword or like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're you're trying to um, I don't know what that is. It's, it's again, I I feel like that's part of the ego. If you're supporting that, you know, personally, when you know the ethical reasons behind it, um, maybe that's just part of your journey and maybe you'll, you'll, you'll take a step back after that. And that's just, you know, one step to becoming closer to one of these other brands. But again, for me personally, I would just skip it. I would just, okay, you know what? I'm going to save some money and I'm going to spend this, you know, 50, 60 bucks on this quality t-shirt that I'm going to wear the hell out of.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like I've mentioned in um, a previous blog post sort of expanding upon what your definition of local is as well. I mean, we've been opened up through social media to all these different artists and makers, I mean, all over the world, all over our countries, and we have access to what they're producing. So think about the mom and pop shop, you know, that's making, you know, those beautiful handmade moccasins or that knit sweater, you know, just like a few states or a few provinces over.
0: Well, you're going to need yes. to do that. Most definitely. Yeah, there's, I, I feel like it's just still too niche right now. There, there aren't enough craftspeople out there doing this type of, I mean, it's steadily growing like we were talking about earlier, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, if you see somebody making quality handmade or, you know, thoughtful, conscious clothing. Um, yeah, I, again, support that company. I mean, I think it's important that that we do that along our way to learning how to, you know, brain or bark tan our, our own buckskin and fashion our own clothing. But again, that's something that some people may not be interested in. And then again, that might be an area where people are very interested in and we will discuss that on the show. But Still trying to find that middle ground, that transition ground, the transition culture with my clothing and with most aspects of my life and what Denby is talking about right now with eco fashion and the tips that she's been giving uh, fits perfectly in alignment with what I'm talking about and, and with where I'm headed personally. And then in the future, I may learn some of these other skills that we're talking about. But um, in the meantime, I'm, I'm glad that there are people out there like you, Denby, in the, in the work that you're doing. And um, it's so unique and refreshing also to hear somebody talking about food and fashion holistically like that. I think that's really, really cool. And I think you're going to do really well in that. And, and you probably already are, excuse me. But um, I, I just, <laughs> it's a really great idea.
1: Ah, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate the platform as well and, and what you're doing too. And just your, your perspective on the whole the whole rewilding theme too is is also really
0: refreshing thank you i'm, I'm very appreciative of that and it, is there other places online that you hang out by chance other than your website at denby yeah
1: you can just come check me out on instagram so it's just at denby royal um facebook as well mostly I'm on, I'm on instagram a little bit more than i than i am on facebook so it's probably a better place to find me and yeah and that would be it other than my website
0: Well, thank you. You know, that concludes today's episode. I'm James the Hairless 8 Broderick, along with Denby Royal of DenbyRoyal.com, signing out from Ancestral Health Radio. Until next time, remember to take a walk on the wild side. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ancestral Health Radio. If you like the podcast, then do me a quick favor and head over to iTunes to leave an honest rating or review of the show. This helps improve the show's ranking and visibility with other would-be hunter-gatherer gardeners just like yourself. But if you can't do that, I'll totally understand. We're still cool. But maybe you could share this episode on your favorite social media network or, at the very least, continue the conversation with myself and the tribe on the official Ancestral Health Radio Facebook page. But whatever you do, remember to check out all the resources mentioned earlier in this episode by reading the show notes at AncestralHealthRadio.com yeah